This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. Glory to you, Lord Christ. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours and all you have is mine and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world and I am coming to you. Father, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. So, I don't know about you, but I'm having one of those weeks. And uh, we were having, if you came on late, uh, we're having technical difficulties with Zoom. Apparently Zoom is, is out across the globe. Um, so we had to switch gears at the last minute. Um, and so it's just me and Jimmy this morning. Um, but I was feeling uh, I was feeling pretty anxious <laughs> this morning, and already actually in this week I had messed up the preaching schedule, and so I got next week's um, schedule and readings and this week's um, mixed up. So we're actually doing next week this week, but it felt very providential because um, this the heart of this passage in um, in Saint Peter's epistle to the early church: cast all your anxiety on Him, because He cares for you. And I don't know about you, but that verse just jumped out at me because I know that I, and I know that many of you have also been feeling um, some anxiety. And so um, let's jump in. So in this Acts reading, like I really feel for the disciples in this moment. So just imagine being them. They've been through this incredibly traumatic experience with Jesus. They've seen their beloved teacher and rabbi and Lord whom they followed for three years, who they put all the hopes of the restoration of Israel in him and freedom from their oppressors. And then they saw him brutally murdered, brutally killed by the state. And then they went through a complete 180 degree pivot. And suddenly it's the joy of his resurrection, seeing him back from the dead. And so as you can imagine, they are eager to know, as it shows us in Acts, what's gonna happen next? And so in the passage from Acts, they're asking Jesus after he's risen again, they say, Lord, is this the time that you will restore the kingdom to Israel? Is this the time? I mean, does it, do, can any of you resonate with that sentiment? I know that I've been feeling that, but when is the time? Give us a timeline. 
You know, when are schools going to open again? When can businesses open again? You know, what about church? And when will church open? When will life return to us again? You know, maybe in some ways we're saying, Governor Cuomo, Mayor de Blasio, is this the time? We want to know. But then Jesus gives the disciples like probably the most frustrating answer you can give to a person who really wants to know. And he says to them, it is not for you to know. It is not for you to know the times or the periods that my father has set by his own authority. It is not for you to know. And that's one of the hardest things for us as human beings to accept, um, isn't it? To not know. That's because knowledge is power. I forget who said it, um, but knowledge is power, right? Knowledge is control. If we know, then we can plan and we know what to expect. And we've got at least some semblance of control of the situation. But to not know means that we're not in control. And that's not to say that we shouldn't be responsible and try to plan as best as we can, but ultimately we don't know. And the opportunity that this crisis gives us is to come to terms with the reality that has always been true, that the Bible has always affirmed time and again, but that we as human beings either didn't believe it or we were in denial or we're living in this illusion. And it's this, this is the reality that you are not in control. And that's hard, that's really hard. And how we resist this, because we want control, right? And yet, time and again, the Bible affirms the kind of freedom and peace that can come when you can finally embrace that truth and that reality. And so let's, let's reflect on this verse. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. So I'm going to talk about the second half of this verse first. Is him, the Lord. Now, whenever you read about God or Jesus in the Bible, you know, there's a lot of emotion that God and Jesus, that Jesus expresses. There's love, there's joy, there's anger, there's sadness, there's resolve. But one thing that you never see, I would say the, the one exception would be the Garden of Gethsemane. The one thing that you never see when there's this vision of the Lord on the throne of the universe is anxiety. You know, God is a non-anxious God. Like you never see these images of God like pacing back and forth, wringing his hands over the state of our world. He's never anxious. And why is that? It's because he knows. It is not for you to know the times and periods that the Father has set by his own authority. In other words, the assumption there is that he knows because he's the one who set the time. And what that means is that ultimately he is the one who's in control because he is the sovereign God. If you reflect on our psalm for today, it's like this image of a holy God in his holy habitation. He says he's riding in the heavens. And that doesn't mean that he's like, you know, out there just distant, having a good time on his own, removed from us. But rather it's saying this whole thing, the heavens and the earth and everything in it, it all belongs to him. It's his space, his reality, his home. And the psalmist is painting this picture of a God who invites us to live there with him in his dwelling. And it says that he gives the solitary, the lonely person, a home with him. 
and he brings forth prisoners into freedom. It says, you sent a gracious rain, O God, upon your inheritance. You refreshed the land when it was weary. Your people found a home in it. And in your goodness, O God, you have made provision for the poor. This is the God that we cast our anxiety on, the God who is in control, the God who cares for us. And so what anxiety does is that it forces us to contend with what is our image of who God is and what he's like? What do we actually believe to be true about God? You know, can I trust the only one who really knows? Do I believe that all of this actually belongs to him and he is ultimately in control of it? And then do I believe that God sees, he sees me, he sees the suffering, he sees the poor, and that he cares, or not? That's what anxiety does. It forces us to contend with, what do I actually believe about God? And the second thing that Peter says is to cast all your anxiety on this God who cares for you. And here's the thing about anxiety. You cannot cast something onto God if you don't know what it is that you're casting. Right? In other words, the first step in being able to cast our anxiety on God is to know what is this anxiety that I'm holding? You know, like what's in my hand that I want to cast onto him? You know, there's so much fascinating work that's been done in um, neuroscience um, about our brains and how they respond to fear and anxiety. But here's what's true about each one of us. Every single one of us, number one, is anxious. You know, it, it's the only um, differing degrees is how much we are aware of it or not. But every single one of us has this instinctual survival response to what we perceive as being a threat. You know, like sometimes they talk about it as fight, flight, or freeze. You know, some of us, we just get into fight mode, you know, and maybe in a positive way that looks like, okay, we're just going to get stuff done. We're going we're gonna to challenge this. We're going to find solutions. That's a good way. Sometimes it means becoming very oppositional. It means kind of challenging against, you know, maybe not in a healthy way. You know, for others of us, you know, we shut down, you know, we run away, we go into denial, you know, it's fight, flight, or freeze. You know, we all have these different ways that we engage with our anxiety or not. But the point is, is that one, we need to be conscious of what is it that I'm afraid of? What is it that I'm anxious about? And then secondly, to make the decision of what it is that we're going to do with it. You know, to be conscious that we have these instinctual responses to fear and anxiety. You know, I just, some of us, we put our dukes up. Others of us, you know, we're hiding. Others of us just shut down completely. So to be conscious and aware of how I deal with anxiety. And then to consciously then, to cast it onto the Lord, is to consciously bring it into God's presence. So where we're not just obsessing in our minds, just our minds running a mile a minute, fretting, pacing, obsessing, projecting our anxieties onto others. You know, sometimes, oftentimes it's those closest to us. But being able to slow down enough to be with Jesus in what we are feeling, in what we're experiencing, and to see what we fear in light of who God is, that God that we just talked about. It's a similar thing as um, like when they talk about shame, for example. And you know, lots of folks have, have talked about and written about this, but the power of when you experience shame, 
Maybe it's something that you've done, something that's been done to you, something that you've been hiding. And the power of just telling another person about it, what that does to drain shame of its power over you. It's a power. It's a powerful thing. You know, it's happened to me many, many times. And it's the same way with our anxiety, that when we're able to be conscious of what it is and name it before God and then surrender it to him, or maybe our circumstances don't change. And yet the peace that can come when we set our hearts and minds and cast those things that weigh on us onto the Lord. So um, one really practical exercise that I'm going to do with this is that I'm just is something that I do when I'm feeling anxious about something. So let me just take a piece of paper here. So this is just one way that you can deal with anxiety. So a friend of mine introduced me to this. So what I do is I'll take a piece of paper like this, and um, sometimes I'll write it in my journal. And essentially what I do is I just write down, you know, like what is it that I'm feeling anxious about? All right, so I'll just be candid with you. One thing that as the priest of St. Peter's that I feel anxious about is I feel anxious about like, the future of St. Peter's. Like I just got here in October and um, we're just getting started. And then all of this hit, you know, a couple months ago. And so, you know, what I might do is I might write, you can't see my chicken scratch, but right there it says the future of St. Peter's. And I might just write out, I mean, sometimes I've had 10, 15 things on this piece of paper. And what I do is I'll write this down and then just one by one, I just rip it off like this. So here I am, I've got this piece of paper with my anxiety on it, the future of St. Peter's. You know? And as I rip it off, I might just fold it up and you know, maybe you have a jar. I don't have a jar, but I put it on my table next to me. And as I, I just sit with it, with God, and I just say, um, all right, God, I, I don't know what's ahead. You know, I, I do feel anxious. You know, I do feel scared. Um, I'm not quite sure how to plan for, the, for this unknown future. You know, I feel, I feel anxious about um, the people, you know, wondering how they're doing. Are they doing okay? Um, I wonder, you know, what is the future that you have for us? You know, will we be okay financially? You know, all the things that come with that. And I just sit with this and I would just say, God, I just entrust this to you. I entrust this to you. You know, maybe you can even say, I cast this on you. And then I just, you know, put it into that jar or put it on that piece of paper. And maybe next week I have to do the same exact thing all over again with the same exact fear. You know, but you get the idea and that something so simple is prayer. It's a way that we can practically put our anxieties um, onto and onto the Lord you know, and let him hold it for us. You know, Peter um, was writing to a scattered and fledgling church. Um, but instead of being um, scattered and fledgling because of um, a pandemic, it was because of persecution. And we in the West, uh, we really have no idea what that's like to be a persecuted church in the way that the early Christians, and actually many of our brothers and sisters around the world experience today. Like in the West, we're like writing Google reviews about complaining about the music. That's, what, that's where we're at in the West. Um, but here's what we do share in common with these early Christians. You know, Jesus never said that all will be well. You know, those are prosperity preachers who are 
quite frankly, false prophets. Jesus never promised that all would be well and that we would never suffer and that bad things would never happen to good people. In fact, he said the opposite. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. You will have trouble. He's, he even went a step further. He said, you know what? Some of you are going to be killed. Some of you are going to be beaten. You know, you will have lies spoken about you. You know, lots of bad things are going to happen. But he says, take heart, for I have overcome the world. And Jesus, as we see in Acts 1, he did not give his disciples a detailed plan and timeline about what was going to happen. But what he said, he says, I'm going to promise you my Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you my very presence in the midst of that darkness, in the midst of that fear, in the midst of, of being killed by the state, in the midst of death. I will give you my promise that I am with you. And that makes all the difference in the world. And so cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And as Peter said, and after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself, he will directly, he will personally, he will intimately restore, support, strengthen, and establish you no matter what it is that you are facing. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen.